everyone. Welcome to the weekly chapter by chapter recap. My name is Corey. I'm here with my husband, Matlock, and we are doing this recap for Bible Discovery and Bible Discovery TV. So we are going through the entire Bible in a year. And this week, our assigned reading covered uh, Ezekiel chapter 37 to Daniel chapter 6, which is quite a bit of reading. So we are going to give you a recap of each chapter to get you caught back up in case you fell behind. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good summary. A recap <laughs> of what the recap does. Uh, okay. Ezekiel chapter 37. This one's quite famous because it uses such evocative imagery. So it's, it's we call it the Valley of Dry Bones or, you know, the Valley of Old Bones. There's songs about it. There's stories about it. There's uh, paintings about it. Uh, but essentially, uh, God shows Ezekiel this vision of a valley full of old dry dead bodies. They're just dead human bones. And God has Ezekiel prophesy specifically to the bones. The bones then come together while Ezekiel's watching and then flesh covers them, but they're still not alive. They're just empty bodies. So then God has Ezekiel prophesy to the breath or, or to the spirit, to life, and the bodies become alive again. Then the vision is interpreted for us here in Ezekiel chapter 37. So Israel has essentially said we're dead and buried. They've gone into exile, right? But God will open their tomb, their captivity, and he's going to bring them back to the land and he's going to revive them. He's going to bring them back to life. They're not going to stay dead as a nation. They're going to become a nation once again. So then, uh, still in chapter 37, Ezekiel takes a stick, and on this stick, he writes, belonging to Judah and the Israelites with him. So remember, there's two, Israel had split into two nations, northern Israel and Judah, or Israel and Judah. Um, and so on one stick, Ezekiel writes, belonging to Judah and the Israelites with him. And then he takes another stick, and on that one, he writes, belonging to Joseph, um, and Joseph an, another word for northern Israel was Ephraim, and Ephraim was the son of Joseph and the Israelites with him. So then Ezekiel joins both sticks together in one hand uh, as a symbol that those two nations, Israel and Judah, will be reunited again. There, there's not going to be that north-south division, the 10 tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south anymore. And uh, not only that, but they will be ruled by one shepherd, meaning one king in the line of David, and God's dwelling place will be with them forever. So God's God's presence will be with these people forever. So this is good news in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 38 typifies the, the, the oppression of God's people, the resistance to God's people, and specifically here, the future oppression, any future oppression, oppression or opposition to God's people. So we see this um, prince, this king named Gog from the land of Magog. Uh, he's called the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. Now, Meshech and Tubal were um, in that time period, they were north of Israel in the area of modern day Turkey, roughly. So Ezekiel 38 describes how a great alliance of nations uh, try to invade a newly settled and, and quite peaceful uh, Israel that's doing really well. Uh, however, God will protect 
the people of Israel and uh, all the many nations that are living with them in the Holy Land. And so um, God's purpose is to set up his kingdom, to set up his presence uh, in Israel, and he's not going to let anyone or anything stop that. So the Ezekiel chapter 38 ends with this uh, great earthquake uh, that is devastating during the invasion of Gog. Mm. Then Ezekiel chapter 39 continues on uh, uh, with this Gog invasion. So there's this great defeat of of Prince Gog's armies. And it talks about how carrion, it's pretty graphic, how carrion birds will feast on their bodies. There's just going to be so many. It's going to be this great feast for carrion birds. Um, And that there will be an entire valley used as a burial ground for them. Uh, And it talks about, it goes into all these weird details, how it'll take seven months of body recovery and burial to accomplish burying all of these bodies. And then um, even more time after that, uh, of people walking the land and marking uh, out, uh, like with flags, small bones to be collected for burial to to cleanse the land from the impurity of having dead human bodies on it. So they're gonna they're gonna really carefully and painstakingly cleanse the land from human death, showing their respect for life, showing accordance with the Mosaic law as well. So. It's also talked about in 39, the the, the thrust of, of the end of the chapter is that all nations and all of the people of Israel will know, matter-of-factly, that God is God. God is right. who he said he is. And, and that really parallels well with uh, what we read in Revelation as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll read some points. So in sure. specifically Ezekiel 38, it says, um, uh, With pestilence and bloodshed, I will enter into judgment with him, Gog, and I will reign upon him. And his hordes and the many peoples who are with him, torrential rains and hailstones, fire and sulfur. It also says in 39, verse 6, I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they will know that I am Lord. And then here in Revelation, you see the same thing, Gog and Magog again. Revelation 20, I'll just read it here, uh, verses 7 to 10. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be loosed from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are at the four corners of the earth, that is, Gog and Magog. Um, to gather them for battle, their number is like this, the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. Uh, and the devil and, and those who, uh, who he deceived was th- uh, were thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So this, you have this like interesting parallel here with God Definitely. and Magog come back up. <clears throat> Whether it happened once or again, I'm not, mm-hmm. I, I haven't studied this well enough to really make mm-hmm. any claims. But it's really interesting here that you have this relationship between Ezekiel and you uh, uh, was this eschatological prophecy to come, and you you have it reiterated by John, the Apostle John, in Revelation too. Definitely, and, and we see that all throughout the Book of Revelation is that John, in his prophecy and in his visions that God gives him, really does harken back to a few of these Old Testament prophets and pulls on those themes, which makes interpreting Revelation really a really interesting. Yes project because you've got all of these rich backgrounds from history as well so it's it's a really interesting thing but i'm glad that you mentioned the the connection between the two yeah it's important just for viewers at home if they want to yeah dig into it more so at the end of ezekiel 39 we realize that this this theme that is going on in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is that god will no matter what provide 
uh, protect and judge uh, both now for Israel, like when when he he brought them back from exile, both now and in the future. Uh, so God's purposes are going to be accomplished, which is you know, a pretty, pretty steadfast theme of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 40. So this prophecy is, this chapter is dated to the 25th year of the original wave of exiles to Babylon. It's uh, dated to the 14th year after the fall of Jerusalem to Babylon. So Ezekiel gets a vision of Jerusalem. He sees a wall, a restored wall around the temple area and the gates because there's the city of Jerusalem proper and then there's the temple mount within the city and it had its own walls and gates. So Ezekiel sees uh, this once again, a wall around the temple area and the gates. Then Ezekiel sees a man whose appearance was like bronze, and and this man goes around measuring everything, uh, and and Ezekiel gets to gets to see how he's measuring and all and all of these different things. Uh, the the gates are decorated with palm trees. We're told all these really interesting details of the temple. There are rooms in the temple for sacrificial preparation, so for washing, um, for slaughtering, and and for storage of all the utensils. And we're told that there are two rooms in the temple. One for the priests who guard the temple and one for the priests who guard the altar who are called the sons of Zadok. Then in Ezekiel chapter 41, um, this the measuring of the temple continues on. Um, and, and this is all about, right now, we have to keep in mind, in this 14th year after the destruction of Jerusalem, there is no Jerusalem temple. So measuring the temple, this future temple, is all about restoration. This temple of God will be restored. In Ezekiel chapter 42, they measure the priests' rooms and the storage rooms um, for uh, for offerings. You know, when people would bring offerings to the temple, where are they going to put it? In the storage rooms. And also dressing rooms for the priests because they weren't allowed to wear their street clothes for ministering in the temple. They had to swap them out. So there was dressing rooms for the priests. In Ezekiel chapter 43, we see God's presence come back to the temple from the east. So remember, the temple at this point in Ezekiel's visions has been decommissioned. The presence of God has left the temple and moved to the east and now uh, moved out to the east. And now from the east back into the temple, the presence of God comes once again. Ezekiel gets another vision of God's chariot throne that, again, is from the very beginning of the book of Ezekiel. Uh, It comes from the east, through the east gate, into the temple. Uh, And then we see the altar of the temple being restored and sacrifices being reinstated in the temple. In Ezekiel chapter 44, now that the temple has been restored and sacrifices have been restored, they need someone to do these things, to to operate the temple. So the priesthood is restored and the priests shut the east gate going into the temple because God's presence has gone through the east gate. So only the prince is allowed to sit in the east gate and eat his offerings to God. So eat his fellowship offerings to God. And um, an overall, an overarching message of Ezekiel chapter 44 is that uh, the people need to put away their evil 
in light of this future restoration of the temple. So it ties it back, Ezekiel ties it back to his audience. And it's really interesting because the descendants of Zadok, who were known in the exile, uh, they're sing- singled out as the, the high priest and the future high priest because they stayed faithful to God throughout all the idolatry that, that had been experienced. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 45, this is all about the restoration of Israel. So how the tribes will be allowed to live in the land again and how their princes, their leaders, their kings are not going to take too much from the people. They're not going to tax them too much and they're not going to oppress them. Um, In Ezekiel chapter 46, the prince goes through the East Gate every Sabbath and he worships worships there. Uh, And then again, whenever he wants to offer a free will offering to God, that's where he goes. Um, So, these images are of this future restored temple of it's it's almost as if what could be if the people chose to follow God right. in the exile. Ezekiel chapter 47. Uh, this describes a river flowing from underneath the temple, which is interesting because that is not a natural geographical thing. Uh, so there's this river flowing from the presence of God from underneath the temple, and it's very, very deep and very, very wide. It flows into the Dead Sea, so from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, and makes the Dead Sea alive. So right now, the Dead Sea is the geographical lowest point on planet Earth where you can go, and and, uh, nothing lives there because it's just far too salty. But this river of life from the temple invigorates life in the Dead Sea. And there's there's fish living there where the fresh water meets the salty water. Uh, and then uh, boundaries for the land, so borders for the land of Israel, are also described in chapter 47. And then just to add more, sure. because I know in verse 12, just to read what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and on the banks and on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water uh, from them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for the food and their leaves for healing. Mm -hmm. This same parallel is also drawn again in Revelation. I'm going to read Revelation 22. When the new Jerusalem comes, Mm -hmm. and here is what it says, Revelation 22, verses 1 to 2. Then he showed me that the river, the angel, showed uh, John the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, that is Jerusalem. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Mm-hmm. And the leaves of the tree were for healing of the nation. So it's very, almost exactly the same yeah. here in Ezekiel. So once again, there's this parallel. After the temple's rebuilt, essentially, then you have this water flowing out from the temple, this mm-hmm. everlasting water that you see here in Revelation. And then this, this the, the leaves are for healing and the fruit's for, for food, for eating. Yeah. And you have this wonderful parallel that's being drawn here in uh, that that John's bringing that put, tying back in, or that Ezekiel is speaking about that isn't yeah. right. That is limited so, in his yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and and so this is what Judaism struggles with in Ezekiel, and what Christianity struggles with in Ezekiel and Revelation. Because what's really interesting about the historical context of all of this is, of course, Ezekiel is the prophet Ezekiel is living in a time where the temple has been destroyed and Jerusalem has been destroyed, and then. Um, uh, but we know shortly afterwards it was rebuilt, right? right? And 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 so 
how are we to understand Ezekiel's vision in light of this second temple period? Does the second temple completely fulfill this or not? Right. And then what's really interesting is that John is living in a very similar time to Ezekiel, except it kind of happens backwards. So Israel is an oppressed people during John's lifetime in terms of they are not self-governing. They are being ruled by Rome, right? By a foreign body. Um, And during John's lifetime, the temple once again is completely destroyed as well as the city of Jerusalem. And so now John receives this vision and it's strikingly similar to Ezekiel's vision back when the first temple had been destroyed and they were awaiting the rebuilding of the second temple. So the historical situation is very, situations are very, very interesting. And this is what Christians, you know, get to wrestle with and get to struggle with and, and really think about deeply as we think about the future and as we think about Christ's second coming and all of all of these interesting yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. <laughs> okay. Uh, did I do Ezekiel 48? You did not. I don't think so. Okay, so the last chapter of Ezekiel, uh, this one is just the division of the land of Israel by tribe, by tribal allotment is given. Uh, and the gates of Jerusalem are named after the tribes of Israel. So there's multiple gates of Jerusalem, obviously, and they're named after the tribes. Okay, so that wraps up the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. And we're going to do the first six chapters of Daniel. Daniel is such an interesting and diverse book. It has narrative in it. So we get a front row view to the life story, some of the life story, not all of it, of Daniel and some of his fellow exiles. But then we also get really interesting prophecy and really interesting commentary on spiritual warfare that was happening at the time. So really cool. If you skipped out on reading Daniel, I would definitely recommend going back and reading it because it is quite enjoyable. It's quite a nice um, mix of narrative and prophecy. All right. So Daniel chapter one. So Daniel's exile is described. He was taken uh, from Jerusalem because he was part of the nobility. Uh, So a bunch of royalty and, and nobles were taken from Jerusalem with the express purpose of being trained to serve in, um, the, the neo-Babylonian empire's courts. This was common practice. It, you know, to have a diverse, employeeship, I guess, <laughs> uh, of people in your court. To have a diverse court for the king showed his power. It showed his prestige. So they were to be trained to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. They were trained for three years to learn the Babylonian ways, the languages, the all the ins and outs of what they're going to need to learn. And four of them specifically are named Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they all received uh, Babylonian names upon their training. So uh, in chapter one, there's this famous issue with their food. Uh, Right there, they, as trainees in the king's court, they're supposed to be eating from the king's fair, which of course was sacrificed to idols. And Daniel and his friends felt very convicted about this. They were in exile, but they didn't want to sin against God in any way. And so they asked to not eat this food, but that was offered to the idols of Babylon, but instead to just have water and vegetables, which were lower foods. They were not offered to the gods. And miraculously, these men ended up 
chubbier and healthier looking at the end of it than the other recruits, which was a miracle because generally everyone knows if you just see vegetables and water, you are not going to look as chubby as someone who's eating lots of meat and drinking wine. And that was the aesthetic that they were going for in Babylon. (laughs) Okay, so it also tells us how uh, Daniel and his three friends excelled and surpassed the knowledge and the wisdom of the other people uh, who were going through this training and how they impressed Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel chapter two, we get Nebuchadnezzar's famous dream. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar dreams a dream that disturbs him, but he doesn't want to tell his dream. He wants, you know, if if these wise men are really wise, if they really know what my dream means, they should be able to tell me what my dream was in the first place. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, this is this is a very Nebuchadnezzar thing, uh, both in history and in the Bible. It's very Nebuchadnezzar. This is just kind of the way he rolled. But um, because then it's also it's he raises the stakes stakes not just like you should be able to tell me what my dream is but if you can't I'm gonna kill you and your entire family <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar great like really nice guy yeah. okay um so Daniel gets his friends Shadrach Meshach Abednego Hananiah Mishael Azariah whichever you prefer to pray and in the night God reveals Nebuchadnezzar's dream to Daniel so the dream is that there was a statue made of different materials different sections of the body of this statue uh are made of different materials. The head of gold represents Nebuchadnezzar and the Neo-Babylonian Empire, and the subsequent body parts represented uh, the kingdoms that would subsequently take over from the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Uh, And when Daniel goes to Nebuchadnezzar and not only tells him his dream, but interprets it for him, letting him know, you know, which sections of the statue are which nations, uh, Daniel is made ruler over the province of Babylon. So he is elevated in his position. And there's a really interesting element here. This is probably something I just really want to point out because it might be taken for granted. Uh, Verses 34 and and 42 to 45, I'm just going to kind of condense those together. It's Nebuchadnezzar's dream. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. And it goes on to the interpretation. Oh, sorry, not yet. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Then Daniel talks about what that what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And as the toes of the feet, like this is later on, verse, uh, verse 42, and as the toes of the feet were gr- uh, partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in those days of those kings, the God, uh, and in the days of the, those kings, the God of heaven will set up a king, a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. This is the kingdom of Christ. This is the whole king. This is the whole the, the kingdom of God that he's talking about that comes through. So then you have Babylon, Persia, right? It goes down the list mm-hmm. of the different. Oh, I guess Assyria is in there too. And then it comes down Assyria to Assyria was before Babylon. So no, I know it is. Yeah, Greece. sorry. Oh, sorry. Thank you. And then um, uh, what happens is then it comes down to the Roman Empire, and this is what exactly what you see. The Roman Empire just kind of didn't get taken over; just kind mm-hmm. of fizzled out, mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of got mixed in with you know. 
Christianity a little bit, and the thing just kind of fizzled mm-hmm. out. But through this process, the kingdom of God will stand forever. It's like through the, God's building a new kingdom through this way. And so it's like you have this Christian message that's coming, but it's, it's not really quite – like no one really quite understands what that means, of course, at the time of Daniel. Like, okay, well, there's a new kingdom that's going to come out by, by God's hand, by no human hand, right? Right. And so you kind of get this glimpse at it here with the kingdom of God. This is what they're talking about in the New Testament. What they're talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. One of the most quoted uh, and most relevant cultural texts in the New Testament was Daniel. That they were always referring to it. So it's really interesting here that this is part of the process. So when, when Christ is talking about the kingdom of heaven, people know they have this image in mind. Like it's, it's right. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. And it's just really interesting. So just throw that in the back of your head. It is. No, it's, it's it's good. It's yeah. good to good to pay attention to. Okay, Daniel chapter three. So Nebuchadnezzar makes an image, an idol, uh, covered in gold, uh, for everyone to worship as a test of loyalty to him and the empire, or die, Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, it is what it is. So uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't know where Daniel is. He may have been exe- He may have been traveling. We don't know. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, don't come for me. I use both names. <laughs> it's a thing. I get letters all the time. Okay. So they get thrown into a furnace because of their refusal to worship the idol. Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance. He doesn't really want to kill them. Uh, he wants them to bow. Uh, before him, before the statue, but they absolutely in no uncertain terms say, no, we will not bow to this idol. We will not worship the image. So Nebuchadnezzar throws them in, but they don't burn. Plus, when they when Nebuchadnezzar looks into the furnace, he sees another person in there that he describes like an angel or like a son of the gods. So this to Nebuchadnezzar would have been, whoa, these wise men are actually wise. Like these are actual spiritual men right now. So he calls them out and he promotes them to higher positions because Nebuchadnezzar is not one who wants to get on the bad side of any sort of spiritual force. We (laughs) learn through history in the Bible. But yeah, promotes them to higher positions. So then in Daniel chapter four, there's this really interesting confession of King Nebuchadnezzar to his empire that uh, he had a dream and that Daniel interpreted this dream and that because of it and through this situation, Nebuchadnezzar was humiliated and humbled. So there was this enormous tree in his dream that provided food and shelter for all. And then it was stripped bare down to its stump. And um, essentially the interpretation was that Nebuchadnezzar would go crazy and he would he would lose his his faculties for a time and behave like a wild animal until he was willing to acknowledge that it was God who was in control of everything that right. heaven rules and not Nebuchadnezzar himself uh and and then this happens so we also learned that Daniel's we finally learned Daniel's Babylonian name which was Belshazzar uh Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar to repent and renounce his sin. Very bold, because Nebuchadnezzar is all about dying. <laughs> yeah. Everyone dying, kill. right? Kill, yeah. kill, kill. Uh, and a year later, so this dream comes true. And when Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that it's God who's sovereign and not him, he's restored, he's healed. Okay, Daniel chapter five. Uh, this skips down to the very end of the Neo Babylonian Empire. 
uh, in history. So we have King uh, Belshazzar, who was a descendant of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel's still alive. He would have been quite old. So Belshazzar was feasting and giving this great big huge banquet. Um, Historically, we know that his reign was not going very well at this point. Uh, He brings out these cups that Nebuchadnezzar uh, took as booty from the temple in Jerusalem. And he's like, we're going to use these. We're all going to drink out of it. They're all drunk. They're all having a great time. Uh, And it says that the people mocked God, the God whose whose cups these were. And they praised their gods while they were drinking. A hand appears and writes a message on the wall. The wise men do not know how to interpret it. And the queen, Belshazzar's, uh, Belshazzar's mother, suggests Daniel. She remembers Daniel. So Daniel then goes through, he comes and he interprets it. He goes through how God had humbled Nebuchadnezzar, how Belshazzar refused to learn from all of this history. And so the message means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought them to an end. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians, who historically we know were invading at that point. Belshazzar still honors Daniel with a robe and a gold chain, but that night the Persians actually took over Babylon. Historically, we know that this happens as well. All right, so Daniel chapter six. So now it's the time period of the Median Persian Empire. Daniel has survived (laughs) until this time period. And we see the new ruler of the city of Babylon, Darius. Uh, He keeps Daniel on as one of his governors. And uh, Daniel's success has really made other people jealous. And so they incite Darius to make a rule that no one was able to pray to anyone except for the king for 30 days. Uh, Daniel doesn't care. He still prays like he normally does and uh, which they expected and so they report Daniel and have him thrown into a lion's den the king's really upset by this he likes Daniel he trusts Daniel he thinks Daniel is a a, a, like a spiritual man uh, more than likely Uh, but he he goes through with it anyway we're told that God shuts the lion's mouths and Daniel survives the night so then the king has Daniel's accusers and their families thrown into the den and they're eaten Uh, very brutal a lot of times that the punishment for um, a crime is was the exact thing that you did And, and in, in that time period. So the result, the result of all yeah. of this was a decree from Darius to actually honor Daniel's God in Babylon. Right. And that's the end of Daniel's What's interesting about that too is, which we talked about earlier in the recaps, like way earlier, months mm-hmm. ago, is this concept of what capturing and conquering lions in the wilderness actually means. Mm-hmm. So Daniel being put into the lion's den is like being tossed into like this uh, this chaos that 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 never uh, that the king has captured as the king has conquered over. Yeah. So it's like it's, it's a him coming out of the chaos showed that he had power. Like sp- there was spiritual that, that, power. That yes, that yeah. he was a man of God. That's right. That's exactly what that exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So it's really interesting in, in light of that. But yeah, there's a lot. Even the handwriting on the wall. I know that was Daniel five. To be, you know, how scary that would be if someone the handwriting on the yes. wall and it says you've been measured you've been weighed you've been found wanting like that alone that's that judgment yeah like yeah and they were drunk but they weren't too drunk to to yeah. be like whoa yeah, something is wrong here like, oh yeah something like, is wrong that judgment where it's like i've completely scoped everything about you yeah right it's like i know everything there is to know you've been measured you have been weighed and you're like and you're insufficient yep like that is like 
Yeah, especially when it's coming from a, <laughs> a hand to the wall. That is a scary thing. Anyways. Yes, uh, <laughs> it would be. It would be. And, the, and yeah. the language surrounding Belshazzar and his reaction shows that he was very scared. Yeah. I'm just yeah. going to leave it at that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> anyway, just, just wanted to mention that. Yeah. But yeah, that is uh, quite a powerful thing. All yeah. right. Well, if you have any comments or questions about this week's reading from Ezekiel 37 to Daniel 6, pop it in the comment section below. And we, we love reading your comments and your questions. We'll get back to you, you know, when we see it, as soon as we see it. So I hope you have a good week and see you next time. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.